week's Oxcast, your weekly roundup of all the best events happening in and around Oxford. Today's date is Wednesday the 20th of April and joining me in the studio today is Mike. Hello. And Orla. Hello. This week I'm going to be talking about some Earth Day stuff, um, Oxford United Women's upcoming fixture and a bit of cinema. I've got Shakespeare in Oxford, a chiplet fest and some very patriotic brass bands. And I've got more Shakespeare, Romeo and Juliet, again, and sea shanties. But first, to kick us off, Mike's got the Oxford fact, and it's about the bard himself. Yes. Visit to Oxford. So, Shakespeare didn't actually have an awful lot to do with Oxford, I don't think. But, like (laughs) every single other town in England, we have the place where Shakespeare slept. (laughs) Uh, Not many people know about it, actually. I certainly didn't. But apparently he stayed in the Crown. And it's when they owned a few rooms on Corn Market. So it's across the road above what is now the Reebok shop. Um, But it's called the Painted Room. And um, it's actually pretty amazing. They redid it in the 20s and took some oak panels off and realised that there was all Elizabethan wallpaper still on the walls. So Oxford Preservation are trying to take it over, and that's a long process. But because it's the Shakespeare in Oxford Festival, sort of for most of this year, this weekend they're having tours on the Saturday and then they're having scenes from Othello on the Sunday. Which is going to be really cool. So no one really knows if Shakespeare actually stayed there. But he was good friends with John Davenant, who owned the pub. He was godfather to one of his kids, wasn't he? Yes, William, who was also the first poet laureate. Oh, wow. Yes. So, And there are also rumours of romantic relations between Shakespeare and Davenant's wife. So. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> Scandalous. There's lots of other stuff going on for Shakespeare, Oxford, all through the year. But some of the stuff that's coming soon. Um, next Friday, there is Hip Hop Shakespeare. Um, which is it's a company founded by Akala, who's a rapper, and they're coming and doing Richard II at the O2, and they do some really cool stuff. And there's also a Shakespeare manga workshop on the 30th at the Story Museum, and that's being run by Sonia Leong, um, whose first graphic novel, Self Made Hero, was based on Romeo and Juliet. So that should be really cool. Um, and also this Friday, the 22nd, at uh, St John the Evangelist. Um, is the Food of Love project. So there are lots of bands like Dead Rat Orchestra and Flights of Helios, and they are recreating and modernising music from Shakespeare's plays. Those are some really interesting creative ways of celebrating Shakespeare. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know, I mean, we'll, we're going to have loads and loads of outdoor Shakespeare yeah, throughout yeah. the summer. But no, there's some really interesting stuff going on outside that. And 10 Things I Hate About You is on at the UPP this week. <laughs> it's a must-see. Uh, on to something a little bit less Shakespeare. Don't worry, we'll come back to him very shortly. I don't know about you guys, but I love a good shanty. Har. <laughs> do you have a favourite shanty? I can name you one shanty, to be honest with you, Katie. I'm sure you'd know them. Well, it's Drunken Sailor. Yeah. Oh, right, OK. I know that one. Yeah, there are lots about Yarmouth. Yarmouth seemed like a big place for, <laughs> for fishing. I don't know where Yarmouth is. There are a few Yarmouths. There's what, near Norwich? <laughs> yeah, think. there's one up there. There's yeah. one on the Isle of Wight. Um, ah. All big ports. Where's Great Yarmouth? That's no. the Norwich That's one. That's the Norwich isn't it? one, I think. Yeah. Yeah. If, like me, you would love the opportunity to sing a good shanty, there is the Women's Sea Shanty Session at the Jane Street Tavern on Thursday at 8 pm. So, traditionally, shanties were sung by sailors to keep rhythm when pulling ropes or doing any other sort of task on a ship. Shanties tend to be about sort of life on the sea and that sort of thing, but also about women, uh, especially women named Sally or Nancy, who like a good time. Right, gotcha. Yes. <laughs> But historians have recently discovered lots of songs about female sailors and sort of female uh, criminals, I guess. So there's the rambling female sailor 
and the female smuggler and tell the story, their story from the woman's perspective. There are lots of legends, and it came with uh, it came in the army at the time as well about female soldiers or sailors just setting out and dressing up as men mm. and um, becoming some of the most famous people that there are. Like many Shakespeare plays and Mulan. Yes. <laughs> There are loads of great sessions at the James Streets. Um, every well, they're sort of all through the month, and they're all regular. There's a Scandinavian one. Um, there's a Breton one. There's the Harp Workshop. I love the Harp Workshop. It's on Mondays, and I I went in there and wasn't expecting it at all, and to suddenly hear about six harps playing. Oh, that's it's very beautiful. surreal and beautiful. A lot of these those people were involved uh, in Folk Weekend Oxford that happened over the weekend. Uh, we were there taking lots of pictures and videos and you can see a little video montage on our YouTube channel. We also put it on our Facebook page and tweeted it earlier as well. So check that out. So Chip Lit Fest is back. That's uh, the Chipping Norton Literary Festival. And that's this weekend, Thursday to Sunday. Um, and there are some familiar faces that were at the Oxford Literary Festival a couple of weeks ago, and some we talked to. So Corky Paul and David Mark are there. But uh, there are also some much bigger names. So there's Joanne Harris, uh, the author of uh, Chocolat. Stuart McConey, who's a broadcaster. Prue Leith, the um, chef and cookery school founder. Um, David Nichols, who wrote Start of a Ten, and Ben Miller. And Brian Blessed, And yes. Brian Blessed, <laughs> of course. Yes, you can hear him from here, though. So. <laughs> so those are all the big names, but there are three lesser-known picks that I've chosen uh, that you might want to go and have a look at. So the first is Aisha Malik, and, and her talk is called Unlikely Romance, and is on the Saturday morning. So she's a female Muslim author from London, which is unusual enough, but she also writes romantic comedies about Muslim dating, <laughs> which are fairly well-reviewed, and, you know, it's quite rare to have a Muslim female protagonist in books mm. um, especially when it's talking about romance and things so that should be a really good talk I think mm. um, there's also uh, a storyteller called Atanuke on Saturday afternoon um, so she's Nigerian born and she collects stories from all over Africa and she's doing a children's storytelling session um, but if you don't know about African folk tales and things they're fantastic they're all about kind of animals doing magical things and um, or moral tales and stuff but no, they're a really good tradition to tap into so yes take your kids to that one um, and then on the Wednesday evening um, is James Rebanks who's a shepherd from the Lake District wow uh, he actually has a really big Twitter following which is why he's famous uh, but uh, he's sort of he's a rare breeds shepherd so he does Herdwick sheep I thought you were making a pun there about how he was one of a rare, a rare breed of anyway never mind uh, right. I thought it would have been better yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, at the moment it's full of pictures of him lambing and things. So that's very it's really good. But his talk is on his most recent book and is called The Shepherd's Life. Uh, you can attend every event individually um, and they all have a price, but you can also buy the ultimate festival wristband uh, for £82. And there are also other packages too. Now, Friday is Earth Day. Uh, and the Earth Trust in Little Whitnam have um, some events going on. There are obviously... Earth Day is basically about celebrating the earth and nature and all, all of those good things generally. So you don't really have to go along to an event to do any of these things. You could just go for a walk in White and Wood, for example. Just or be on earth somewhere. Be on earth. <laughs> uh, but if you did want to celebrate it, Earth Trust are going to have a Newt's Frogs and Toads event in Little Wintnam. Uh, you're advised to bring a torch and wellies to the oh. event, which starts at 745 on Friday and they'll be fishing out lots of little animals to take a look at. Um, so I was looking up a few little facts about frogs, toads and newts. Um, apparently when frogs hibernate, their bones form a little ring, a bit like a tree, so that once they die, scientists can find out how old they were. That's amazing. amazing. I know, isn't that cool? 
I don't think I knew that they even hibernated. But they, yeah. Does that mean they get awesome. bigger every year? I don't know. Or more dense bones? <laughs> Maybe ask, ask the people at the Earth Just, they'll know. Very heavy frogs. <laughs> so, an average lifespan for a frog or toad is about 10 to 12 years, but some can live up to 40. That's wow. impressive. I know. Frogs and toads have hinged teeth. I don't know where they're hinged, but I read they have hinged teeth. <laughs> and uh, newts can regrow basically any part of their body, including limbs, spinal cord and heart, and they can regrow their eye lenses up to 18 times. They're basically magic. I know. They? There's a particular newt as well that has this incredible defence mechanism. It's a Spanish newt. So if it's about to get attacked, it rolls its ribs forward, so it breaks through the skin, creating these spines that are also poisonous. Then they retract... The bones heal and the skin heals, and then they're fine. Well, and the same newt has been into space six times because ah. scientists thought that they were kind of like had these superpowers that they could heal so well. They thought they'd send them to space. Worried about alien invasion, send mm-hmm. the newts. Yeah. <laughs> so celebrate Earth Day in any way you like this Friday. Um, but the newts, frogs, and toast event starts on Friday in Little Whitnam at seven forty-five. Tickets are a fiver, two pounds concessions. Cool. More Shakespeare now. The Bodleian Library are opening their Shakespeare's Dead exhibition on Friday to celebrate uh, Shakespeare's birth and death day. Pointing out the obvious, or...? Was he born and died? Was well, it, how did he... It's thought that maybe he did, but one of the dates is within a three-day window. Uh, yes. So different people have different opinions. Yeah. The RSC reckon that he was born and died on the same day. But uh, Professor Simon Pather, who I talked to, actually thinks that uh, it's not the same day. It's interesting, he says it in his interview. Yeah, it was more interesting if it's the same day, though. Yeah, I know, but he thinks it's just, you know, poetic. Yeah. Shakespeare's Dead explores themes behind the death of the characters in his plays. It sounds like a totally fascinating exhibition, which has an accompanying app, which is always fun, and a book, and it will explore uh, death in its many forms in Shakespeare, so performing death as an actor, the ways in which characters die, and the staging of death in Elizabethan England. I spoke to Professor Simon Palfrey, who co-curated the exhibition, about the process behind its creation. It, it's, it's been eye-opening, been very interesting. Um, uh, it, it's something that we, we entered with a little bit of reluctance at the start, just because we thought, oh, God, another, yet another thing celebrating Shakespeare. You know, put it, just, let's just leave it. Yeah. But, we, you know, it's generated momentum and it's something that's been rewarding in, in all sorts of ways, partly because of the public engagement. You know, it's it's much more the, the, that kind of gap between the the, the, the academy, the university, and, and, the, and the public is, yeah. it, it is disappearing much more, and that's quite nice. And it's really nice to communicate. There's always a frustration as a as a scholar. You think, well, I'm writing this for you know. There's no reason why lots of people can't read this, mm. but they just they just don't know about it. Yeah. And so that's a frustration. And so it's, that's, that's been really good. Initially, the idea was to have, as I said, the life in Shakespeare was actually the, was the impetus. That's what we want to bring mm. out. The li- not, not, not the life in Shakespeare's life. I don't yeah, care yeah. about Shakespeare's life. Not really. I couldn't care less. But I care about the, the plays and the poems, the life in them. So mm-hmm. I wanted to show, reveal that. And we initially wanted an exhibition which was um, very interactive yeah. and, and dynamic and, and, and brought out something of the theatre. Because most, most museum or library exhibitions are very static quiet, based around objects. But that's very, very hard. When you're in a library, yes. there's a limit to what you can do. So there's a bit of that going on. There's quite a lot of activities going on with Oxford 2016 thing. Lots of 
we've got the sonnet and soliloquy booth and the creation theatre are doing and various performances and there's the, you know the, the Tim Crouch coming in with his play and there's quite a lot going on mm. we've tried to do as much as we can we've got a nice little app going with the uh, in the exhibition where people can find seven of the different objects and ask different questions mm. but the main thing we've tried to do is make the captions lively rather than having the captions simply this book is a 16th century manuscript which was received by the library. Some of the display things are, you know, texts, unique texts that the Bodleian has of Venus and Adonis or, or Hamlet or something. And, you know, we show them and that's fantastic. But, but a lot of the things we're showing aren't, as it were, Shakespeare texts. What they are are they're books or images which evoke something of death in, in Shakespeare. But in, in every case, Shakespeare's plays don't simply... Um, mirror that or transcribe it, represent that. They trope upon it. They kind of riff upon it. They transform it. Shakespeare takes his stuff elsewhere. He's not a kind of documentary writer who's, you know, just mirroring everyday life. He's, he's transformative. We want to make the captions bring something of that out. And so what we do is we, we, you get the object, sort of generates a quotation from Shakespeare, which then generates a caption. And, and so you've got this, this process of trying to bring out something of this creative transformative life mm. that's what we try listen to the full Oxcast extra to hear about the themes explored in the exhibition what got simon interested in shakespeare in the first place and more info about what events are happening this saturday which include writing with a quill a sonnets booth and the use of a printing press from the period if you end up in london over the next few weeks as well at king's college london Shakespeare's will is going to be on display um, so you can see the bit where he bequeathed his second best bed to his wife and all the rest of it at King's College London. So that's the Shakespeare's Dead exhibition at the Western Library and opens on Friday and it is free. So there are lots of very English events going on this weekend because it's also St George's Day. Does that mean there'll be more Morris dancers around again this weekend? Hopefully. (laughs) Always a wish. And dragons? Probably. Well, but since there are two brass band concerts going on, I thought it was a good opportunity to talk about brass bands in Oxfordshire. So brass bands came from the north, really, and come from very industrial places because they were originally a kind of social control, really. Keep your workers out of the pubs by giving them a load of instruments to play. Like all colliery bands. Yes, yeah. But they also came from mills and steelworks and things in Wales. So um, industrial centres are where they're really strong. And there's a whole competition contest culture around them, which is amazing because they have these fantastic bands, fantastic musicians, uh, playing with very, very technical and very bizarre pieces. And uh, there are sort of big national championships in the Albert Hall every year and things like that. But Like in Brassed Off. Exactly like in Brassed <laughs> Off. Um, but Oxfordshire is uh, also very, very strong. I was looking them up today and I didn't realise how many there are. But around here there's uh, the City of Oxford, Kidlington, Kennington, Abingdon. Abbey Brass. Yes, Abbey Brass. <laughs> My brother used to play drums with them. That's exciting. But, I mean, lots of them need help. Kidlington is still going very strong. Wantage is very strong. But City of Oxford are looking for a lot of players. They've got four different bands and and are really good at getting people learning stuff. So, yeah, if you fancy picking up an instrument, just go and talk to them because they're really looking for players and really want to help build up the band a lot more. But anyway, for St George's Day concerts, uh, there are two that we found. There's one by Blueberry Brass Band, at Blueberry Village Hall, which is Saturday at 7. Blueberry's a beautiful little village as well if you end up going to visit. Um, but also Kidlington, who... Their first section, which... So, Brass Band Contesting has the different sections, a bit like the football leagues, a championship, and then first to fourth section. 
um, and Kidlington the first section and they're the best round here really oh cool that's um, pretty good they are good so, is that a nationwide league yes yeah uh, so what happens is you do regional contests and then whoever uh, places in a certain place... You get promoted or relegated. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's all very, very competitive and very, very serious. You can only sign to one band at a time. But did, yes. you, did you start playing tuba because you, you're from the north? I There's did. brass bands everywhere. Yes, yeah, I came through the system like everyone else did. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so Kidlington's St George's Day concert is Saturday at 7.30 and that's... That's at Edward Field Primary School, and £8 for adults, £5 concessions. So this weekend, Oxford United Women have their third fixture of the season against Durham Women. It's a home match at Abingdon United at the North Court in Abingdon. Um, this week, we, Katie and I spoke to Georgia Timms and Sophie Baker, midfielders for Oxford United Women's FC, about the state of women's football in England at the moment. Yeah, I think since the World Cup, it's been a massive support within the women's football, which is obviously good for how England have done. And for the support that they're giving, not just us, WSL one as well, is it's amazing, really. Yeah, it's just grown every day. And I can't, like, in five years' time, God knows where it'll be at. Yeah. But it's, it must be particularly exciting for you guys because you're young in the game and yeah. it's coming at the right time. Yeah. 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 Clubs are starting to pay and there's the central contracts to the FA now as well. Yeah. yeah it's it's, it's going to get big, definitely. Just waiting for it to... It's just the right moment for us, for our age and stuff. Yeah. What would you say to a fan who was uh, interested in going along to a game? Definitely come along. I think once they see one, mm-hmm. then they'll know. People have this stereotype about women's football, but once you see a game, you can't have a yeah answer on it. It's only like four quid to go to go. Yeah. yeah. Spend four quid and then that'll be it. That'll be sold. Or spend 25 quid and be a season ticket holder. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> to listen to the full interview with Georgia and Sophie, where we talk a bit more about the Oxford United Elite Academy and some of their pre-match superstitions, go to dailyinfo.co.uk. The match kicks off at 12 o'clock on Sunday. And as we mentioned, it's only £4 for tickets, so you may as Amazing. well go along. No excuse. Exactly. They need the support as well. On to our final mention of Shakespeare, we promise. Pop-up operas. Uh, please excuse my pronunciation. I Capelletti e Montecchi. At the Thais Barn. Sounds delicious. It does sound <laughs> delicious. Uh, on Wednesday the 27th. Uh, so this is Pop-up Opera's first tragic opera that they've performed. Spoiler. Sorry, sorry. (laughs) And it will be sung in Italian with English subtitles. Uh, As well as the English subtitles, they've also got silent movie captions. I'm not really sure what this means. So this is a Romeo and Juliet opera? Yes. Yes. (laughs) This is Bellini's version of Romeo and Juliet. Running time is only an hour and 45 minutes, so it's a nice short opera to ease your way in. The Tithebarn is near Bicester and it was built in the 14th century to hold people's produce and now is a very popular wedding venue. <laughs> so it's a beautiful location, very rustic. And I imagine it will be a, lo- a lovely way to spend a spring evening. People are starting more and more to take these 18th century operas and put them in more real context, in a bit, a lot like they're doing with Shakespeare plays. Uh, these operas were originally written for people that would go to the opera house and watch the same thing, you know, for months in a row, because <laughs> it was just a place to be seen. 
Um, and it means that they're written in quite an accessible way because it's all to do with that everyone would be talking amongst themselves and then suddenly some notes would happen or an aria would come on and everyone would just go, oh, just listen, yeah. listen to this bit. So they're really, really easy to get into and some fantastic music. Does that mean you can be on your phone for a bit and then just, like, <laughs> look look up when the important bit happens? That is exactly the mm. modern, um, okay. modern equivalent of that. So. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so that's uh, pop-up operas, Romeo and Juliet, at the Tyres Barn on Wednesday, uh, tickets are £25. And lastly, I've picked a film, um, in case you want to go to the cinema this week. Miles Ahead is a biopic of Miles Davis, who's possibly the best trumpeter ever, and certainly one of the most influential musicians of the last century. Um, It's directed and stars Don Cheadle as Miles, who also wrote it, I think. And it's this sort of gangstified role of Miles Davis. The film draws lots of inspiration from the black exploitation films of the 1970s, so things like Shaft. Um, And it's slightly all over the place haphazard in a kind of not sure whether that's a good thing or a bad thing yet way. Like the um, jazz. Yeah, exactly, maybe. <laughs> um, it's not a film to go to if you want to sort of inform yourself about his life and career because it, it's set during the period of his self-imposed retirement in the 70s um, with the camera looking like it's taken about as much coke as all the characters. It's all a bit hallucinatory and... Interesting and brightly coloured and bizarre. Uh, but it's on at the Phoenix and George Street Odeon from Friday. Uh, maybe the view as well. They haven't sent us our t- their times yet, so I'm not sure about that. <laughs> but I think it looks interesting, if nothing else, and um, if anything can get people interested in listening to Miles Davis's music, then that's going to be a good thing. For full cinema listings, though, go to dailyinfo.co.uk where you'll find all the other events that we've talked about today, um, details of them, and many, many more things. And why not write us a review of what you go and see? Uh, there are lots of reviews already on the site, but we'd love your contribution as well. And don't forget to follow us. We're at Daily Info Oxford on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And make sure to check out our Freak Weekend video. 